Welcome back to the cool Kareem Matthews podcast. I'm your host, Kareem Matthews. And I want to just quickly thank everyone, man, who listened, uh, commented, you know what I'm saying, gave your criticism, good or bad. Thank you, guys. Uh, keep that. Um, this week, man, I'm glad to have on. This is a comic, actor, entrepreneur, and I like to call, the best part is I call him a friend, Mr. Alonzo Bowden. What up, Kareem? How you doing, brother? What's up, Zoe? Not much, man. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. It's crazy because, you know, whenever I have somebody on, I go through, like, my little mental Rolodex to kind of prepare for this. And we've known each other since the late 90s. Yeah, I know. I know. It's it's funny how, what did it say, time flies when you're having fun, right? Man. Yeah, we go back over 20 years. That's that's crazy. I when whenever I say that to people or whenever I say that about somebody, it's just amazing to me, man. It's it's literally the connection of comedy. You know what I mean? Because I had a med on, and uh, that's where I met a med was at Dublin's, and that's that's where I met you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, you know the good thing about that, we're still in the game, right? Twenty uh-huh. years later. We're still here because, you know, a lot of people have uh, fallen off, left the game, straight jobs. We've even lost, sadly, we lost some of the boys. And, uh, you know, but, yeah, we're still here. I know. That's crazy. Uh, during the pandemic, we lost a couple people. You know what I mean? Yeah, that, yeah, that is crazy. But I just remember, man, Dublin's, a man, when a man was on, he said Dublin's was like a time of innocence in comedy for all of us. You know what I mean? And I feel like that was such, that was the perfect way of putting it. At least for me, it was, you know what I mean? That was like my introduction to a lot of the, I would say, business part of Hollywood came through Dublin's. Yeah, it, it, innocence in a way for me, I always look back at Dublin's as the most creative time of my career. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, it was like every week work on something new and it was just it was fun. But it was also the creativity also came because there were so many great comics hitting that stage. Right. But no one had. Well, you know, like Dane started to blow up, you know, and and. Ken no, you right. You right. You was about to say you know, no one had blown up yet. <laughs> yeah, Doctor Ken had maybe got his first part in a movie, you know, and Craig Robinson, nothing yet, you know. Ralphie May, nothing yet. I mean, it was like right before. It was the two or three years before everyone started to pop and find their voice and find their own way. So the the talent level on that stage. It, I'll tell you what's funny. I don't know if you've bumped into people who used to hang out who were like in the crowd and they're like, damn, we had like, we had no idea how much talent we were seeing every week. For free. Yeah. (laughs) No, man, it's funny because uh, again, a man was, was saying a similar thing. Like he listed all the comics that hit that stage before they had really like taken off. It's just, and I was saying to him, I don't know if we could recapture that time ever again, because that was pre-social media. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, yeah. well, it was, you know, it was MySpace, right? Like Dane, Dane was the first comic to become famous on MySpace, you know, because right. he figured it out. I, 
Listen, Jay has tried to recreate Dublin's numerous times. Ahmed has talked about it. You can never, you, it is my opinion, you can never recreate it for us because mm -hmm. that was the time for us. Just like if you t ever like read comedy or, or look at the books of the old days, like Seinfeld and Leno and, you know, all of those guys, they were all in New York in the 70s. Right. Mm -hmm. And and at like Catch a Rising Star and Danger Fields and whatnot. And that was their Dublins. That was where they learned it. That's where they, they started doing it. Right. And, they, and then in the 80s, they all blew up and became stars. Right. So I think I think every generation or every group has some spot. You know what I mean? Like there's a, there's a spot right now where comics are working out. Well, you know, today it's in a Zoom somewhere, right. but you, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and their, their, their generation is coming. You know, that's what I think it is. I think every generation of comics has somewhere where they develop and then they blow up. Right. And, it, and it's, you can't, you can't recreate the same place for anybody. Right. And you can't bring it back once they've blown up because that was right. part of it. None of no one had blown up yet, so everyone was just showing up on a Tuesday night with no ambition. Ambition, you know what I mean? Well, I give you an example: Def Jam. Mm. Remember when they tried to redo Def Jam? Right, not to be couldn't do it. Worked. Couldn't do it because in the nineties, you know, you had Bernie Mac and Chris Tucker and and all of them coming on the scene and blowing up like they hadn't been on TV yet, and suddenly they were on Def Jam. And it was crazy, right? Right. And then they tried to do it again in the 2000s, and it was like, nah. No, no. Nah, you, you can't. There's some things you can't do again. They tried to remake Living Color. Oh, right, right. You yeah, know? No. And, and again, because that was a moment of time in a lot of those uh, comics and actors' careers where it, it was just perfect timing, you know? Right, right. David Allen Greer, Jim Carrey, Jamie you know, Fox. even Jamie Foxx, you right, know? Right, They were all, they were like club headliners or they were uh, small, I don't want to say small part, name actor, but, you know, no, early yeah. in their acting career, right? Right, right. And then they got that show and it was like, but you can't do that again. You ain't, you ain't going to find another Jamie Foxx just hanging out Right. <laughs> Undiscovered. <laughs> yeah, because I was looking at it from the perspective of how social media would have changed the whole environment. You know what I mean? Like a lot of things that we did, we couldn't have got away with with social media. But your point on just the timing as well, I think, makes even more sense. Like we were just all at this place where, again, nowadays, you we probably couldn't bring all those people together like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if social media would have been, made us more famous or would have diluted the pool. I think it would have been the dilution part. That's what I'm saying. I don't think we could have kept going what we had going with social media because social media, it speeds everything up. You know what I mean? It would have Yeah, that, yeah I know what you're saying. Yeah, it would have burned out sooner. Quickly. Yeah, exactly. Because mm -hmm. like Ahmed, again, when Ahmed was saying we was getting Britney Spears in there, Justin Timberlake, Vince Vaughn, like those people wouldn't have been able to just hang out like that. Yeah, that's true. Media, in the social media era. 
You know what I mean? They would have got this spot would have got blown up. So Yeah, that is that's definitely true. Everybody would have known who was there. We'd have had paparazzi in the parking lot. And right. and you know it would have been funny, the paparazzi would have been there not looking at the comics. Looking for the crowd. <laughs> yeah, nah, man. And it's it's crazy because I was saying how for like the first not the first, but I would say for like five to 10 years after Dublin, most of the things that I had going on in my career stemmed from Dublin. You know what I mean? Because I met my manager, well, my, my manager back then at Dublin. So mm -hmm. I could trace basically everything I was doing well into the early 2000s directly to Dublin. Because like for me, that was my first experience with like the industry part of comedy. Right. Like that was the first place that I would do regularly where someone in there could actually help your career. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's kind of what they were looking to do. So for me, that was like my first exposure to that. And it was, it's, it's crazy because from Dublin, I, t I said, I got my manager and I did Montreal and I did Montreal, uh, new faces in Montreal in 01. Do you remember that? You were yeah. there. And it was, uh, I, I don't know how they got this together, but we, we had a basketball game. They had mm -hmm. a plan basketball. <laughs> and yo, you were dunking in construction booths. <laughs> I was like, well, what the fuck? I will tell you something. Those days are long gone. But, oh, <laughs> you know, it's funny because the basketball game at, I first went to Montreal in 97. And I'll mm -hmm. always love Montreal because I feel like that was where I got discovered, right? Like mm -hmm. I went up there, I came back with a deal and quit my day job and everything. Uh, in 97? Yeah. Mm. But the so every year the industry versus comics basketball game was like a thing. But it got so serious they had to stop the game because they were worried about people getting hurt because mm -hmm. people started going out for blood. You know, it was like, yo, man, these ain't NBA tryouts. These are, <laughs> you know, and I could dunk. But I, I remember um, Ben, what is Ben's last name? Who did Cash Cab? Um, Not Glee. No, no, no. Let me, I'll get, I'm going to Google real quick because I got to give him his props. Right, right. But yeah, I, I I vividly remember you dunking in construction boots, or they may have even been 10. Yeah. Ben Bailey. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Okay. So I didn't know it, but Ben was like, I think he was a D1 college ball player. Oh, okay. Like Ben had game and Ben came on the court and I don't think I don't think many people knew how good he was. Right. And right. he just went off. It was it was funny watch. It was like, whoa, Ben got game. But you know the best thing about the, the basketball game? That was how I got my first gig in Vegas. Okay. That there, there was a guy, Steve Sharippa. Steve used oh, to book. Yeah, yeah um, the ribs. And the, rib. the Sopranos. Yeah. And Steve was one of those like fat athletes. You know the guys who are they're kind of fat. But they're still athletic. Mm. And Steve could ball. He could ball. Really? So we were playing, and Steve said to me, he said, hey, I'm going to have you in Vegas. I'm going to get you to back, you know. And he did. And he had never seen me on stage. Like, he just saw me playing ball. Wow. And he booked me to the rim. Oh, that's great. But, um, yeah, man, those were fun. But they had to stop that game. Then they started a hockey game. Oh, oh that's, and, going, know, that's safer. Like, 
We done. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's safer than basketball. Let's play hockey. <laughs> Let's give them sticks. <laughs> nah, but it's it's crazy because oh one, uh, Kevin Hart was there. Kevin Hart was yeah. Oh one, because I remember after he saw you dunking in construction boots all in the game, he just kept trying to throw you lobs. <laughs> <laughs> I wish he'd throw me a lob or two in his movies now, man. <laughs> <laughs> Right, throw me alive now. Anything, okay? So yeah, that's crazy. So you said you first went to uh, Montreal in '97. '97, yeah, <laughs> I did New Faces in '97, and I've been to. I'm still well, yeah. I mean, up until it, you know, everything shut down, I've probably been to just for last twenty times. I mean, they were calling me the mayor of Montreal. I'll tell you the funniest. Thing was when um, you know Kenya Barris, who who created Blackish and all of that, oh, mm -hmm. he came up there. He was doing like a seminar on on producing, and they were giving him an award. And he came up to me and he was like, "Yo, man, I heard you to hook up up here in Montreal. So what's you know?" And and I'm laughing. I'm like, "Didn't you just sign a hundred million dollar deal at Netflix and what? Like you asking me?" For a hook, man. <laughs> I love again. Throw me alive. You know what I mean? Oh, believe me, I cracked on him about not giving me a job. Believe oh. me, I did. <laughs> Hilarious. And I remember we actually hung out in Montreal that year. Uh, yeah, we went shopping. I don't remember where we went, obviously, because it's Montreal. But yeah, well, we that's went. you know the great thing about the festival. Right. And we I was just doing a thing. We were talking about this. It's summer camp for comics. Right. It's the only place that we all see each other, because at like you and me, when we bumped into each other, what was it about two weeks ago? Mm -hmm. I hadn't seen you for years. a couple of years. Right. Right? right. And it's just because your career went this way. My career, like everyone's career grows and it is what it is. But Montreal is a place where we all just come together, and yeah, we do hang out, man. You go to go to lunch, go shopping, go buy sneakers, and it, it's right. crazy, but it's fun because otherwise we only see each other on the poster at the club, saying, "Oh, Kareem's gonna be here in two weeks." Right. Oh, Alonzo was just here. <laughs> right, right. Or on TV. <laughs> right on a TV spot, or 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 randomly, you know, for five minutes. So. It's one of the fun things about Montreal. I think one of the funniest things that I saw in Montreal was um, Chappelle was up there, right? And Dave was riding a skateboard to get around. Like, that was his thing. Wow. And we were laughing because, you know, people were like, man, that guy on that skateboard looks like Dave Chappelle. Right? <laughs> never. Because <laughs> they would never think, no, that is Dave Chappelle. He's riding a skateboard. Right. Know? And and that's the other thing about having it in Montreal. That's that kind of city that gives you that kind of freedom like that. You know what I mean? Like Yeah, it's it's a walk around city right. and you hang out. You know, you, you ate on the patio before you had to in right. Montreal. Right. Right. And, right. Right. And you do you know, you randomly run into everybody, like you said, you know, from Kevin Hart and Dave Chappelle to open micers or just some you know, somebody you know from the road or the other people I run into there that I love are the comics from Europe and England mm. because I never see them like once a year I see Jimmy Carr or I see guys from Australia or whatever because again it's international 
you know. Right, right, right. Yeah, now nah, and also the industry. Not only the comics that you bumped into, but the, but the industry as well. Like you said, being able to play hoops with Sharipa and having him say, you know, I'm gonna have you down in Vegas. Like, again, that was my first exposure to that was Montreal to that level of industry. And then it's it's crazy because it's like when you come back, LA is kind of like womp womp womp. You know, yeah. for like well, the first you know. month or so. You walk into a room, you're like, there's literally no industry in here right now. <laughs> my my relationship with the industry at Montreal, I I love it. It's I have a freedom because I don't worry about them because I got nothing new to show them. Mm. Like it's like, look, you know who I am. I've been here every year. So I get I love the excitement. I love the excitement of new faces or people doing a gala for their first time or you know, stuff like that. I, I love that kind of stuff. And I still have experiences, man. I met I met Don Rickles in Montreal. You know what I'm saying? Like that was the one of the greatest mm, things right, in right. comedy to sit backstage and have Don Rickles cracking on me. You know, Don mm. Rickles, <laughs> right? Legendary. But when it comes to the industry, yeah, man, I got nothing new. But the nice thing about that is I'm under no pressure. You know what I mean? Like I'm not under pressure to do a showcase for them because they already know who I am. I know who they are. And, and if we're going to work together, we're going to work. You know, you don't seem to me, you don't come across as the kind of guy that succumbs to pressure. I mean, like even knowing you way back, like you always just been kind of like, this is what it is. You know what I mean? So that is that that's true. You know why? Because because I love the comedy. Listen, I would be, if I worked harder on being famous, I'd have been more famous. Mm. But I always just love doing the comedy and, you know, and it's a lesson, right? So so now, you know, I'm old head and, and young comics come to me and I tell them, man, publicity, marketing, all of that, you have to do all of that. Because for me, and I've done all right, but I just love the comedy, man, and and being a comic. You know what I mean? Like it, like to me, it's more important to have the respect of the other comics than to have a deal with or the respect of NBC. Man, you know, because whoever got you that deal at NBC, they could be gone in the year or two. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Mean, but these but, comics, that 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 feeling, that respect from them, is like eternal. <laughs> you know what I mean. When you can walk into any green room and just sit down and be be welcomed and start talking, you know, and not be the, the most annoying thing is the new comic who walks in and wants to prove he's funny. Mm. So he's trying to be funny in the green room. And we're like, shut the fuck up. Just right. like the stage is out there. Right. This is us. Man, <laughs> no, totally, yo, totally. So, okay, so you say, you you know, you, you never really have done it for the industry, but you have had some industry success, you know what I'm saying? Like oh, absolutely, absolutely, and it's been good. You know, it. listen, I've had a great run, and, and I've worked with some great people, and some great people in the industry have helped me. It's just there's a certain part of it. You know what I never figured out? I never figured out how to sell in the room. Right. When you go to the meeting and you've done these meetings and this is for your listeners. Right. And you you walk in, it's a conference room 
and there's six or eight people and maybe two of them know who you are and the other ones pretend they know who you are and everybody's like, let Kareem, we love you. Kareem, we no, we want to get into the Kareem business. We love you. And right, and you're sitting there and in the back of your mind, you're like, this is bullshit, right? Right, right. But you have to know how to be funny in that room. Mm-hmm. And I never learned, I shouldn't say I never learned. I didn't care enough about being funny in that room because in my mind, I'm like, none of you have been to Kansas. I'm funny in Kansas. Right. No. I'm funny in Louisiana. I'm funny in Virginia. I'm funny in in Sydney, Australia. I'm funny funny in Bucharest. You guys have never been beyond Hollywood Boulevard and you're judging me. <laughs> mm, man, that says it right there, yo. That's the thing. I'm always leery about judging of comedy. You know what I mean? Because I always say comedy is like ice cream. You know, it's like 31 flavors sells 31 flavors for a reason. Like, yeah, some that's people, a good way to put it. I've never heard that, but that is that's absolutely true. Some people love Rainbow Sherbert. Me personally, I can't stand Rainbow Trevor, <laughs> but they still sell it. You know what I mean? I'm going to steal that from you, man. I'm stealing that. <laughs> no problem. It's yours. You know? <laughs> but yes, but uh, leading into that, though, but you, again, you've had success at that because uh, you won Last Comic. Yeah. You know, Last Comic was, it was fun. Now, when you talk about pressure, That was a weird kind of pressure, right? Because this was the way I looked at it when I was doing it. Every Tuesday, somebody was getting fired, right? Mm. Because that's when the eliminations were. I mean, from the beginning, from when you go in and you do your first three-minute set, right? Every Tuesday. So my whole thing was I just thought about don't get fired this Tuesday. Don't get fired. Mm -hmm. And then six months later, I was in the finals. I hadn't gotten fired, you know, (laughs) and honestly, that was the way I looked at it. And I never thought about it. Like one, there was one time I was doing a a set and my brother who, who's my best judge, right? My brother knows me in and out backwards. He said, yo, man, you were thinking about the money. He said, Mm. you weren't thinking about comedy. You were thinking about the money. He said, Mm. forget that shit and do comedy, right? And it was great advice. It was great advice. And- Were you thinking about the money? Yeah, I was thinking about winning. (laughs) Cause you know, it it was a lot of money, you know? But um, I didn't realize how big it was until I went back two years after I won, they brought me back as a judge. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I got to see how many people tried out and mm-hmm. that's when I felt like, wow, I beat a lot of fucking people. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because because right. I would never think, I never thought beyond the stage I was on, right? So you start out, you know, you, you've done, you done the audition. You start mm-hmm. out at the improv that night. And then with us, we went to New York and then we went to Vegas and then we went to the final TV part. But I would never think about anything more than the room and the stage I was on. And again, when you talk about pressure, it's because when we did Last Comic, it was still a big show. It was like a huge show, right? So when we got to the semifinals, they said, the the rating, they said like 10 million people were watching, you know? Mm. 
So it, it just sit back and think about trying to make 10 million people laugh. Right. It becomes overwhelming. You got exactly. to break it down. You know so I, mean? I was like, I'm just going to be funny here in the theater. Right. I'm going to let the director put it on TV. Right. I'm doing this room. You know, that was always my way of, of making it manageable, of being able to handle it. Because if you look at the big picture, yeah. it's too big. You lose yeah. your mind. No. Yeah. yeah. I, that's, I would have definitely had to broken that down. into just like you said, just this room, you know what I mean? Just this room right here. So, okay. So you, you finished second one season, then you won the next season, right? Right. I was a runner up on season two, John Heffron won. Mm. And the way they used to, the way they would do it is you would be downstairs while the comic was on stage. Like if you were performing, I'd be downstairs and you were on. And they brought me upstairs just in time to hear, ladies and gentlemen, Kareem Matthews and your applause as you walked off, right? Mm. So we wouldn't see the other comics until that night when the show was on TV. Oh. And I remember watching it on TV and I saw Heffron's set and I was like, damn, he won. Because he had a killer set. I love mm. John. And mm. me and John have competed. Like he he reminded me, like we, we did Star Search together and we did wow. this other show. We'd gone head to head. So I was up. I was still up two to one, but he had won the big one, right? <laughs> he won the big money, though. But so, so when they asked us to do season three, which was going to be like the the all-star, you know, the 10 comics from season one versus the 10 comics from season two. I went in that feeling like I was the favorite, like it was a weird pressure. You know, you know what I said? It felt like it, it was like when Tiger Woods would play golf and it was like they expected him to win. Like right. there's 50 other golfers, but it's like, no, it's you. Against and then them. all of them. Right. And, <laughs> and the no field. disrespect to the other comics, because there were great comics on the show, great comics on the show. You know, Gullman and Rich Voss and Ralphie May and mm. Kathleen Madigan, Tammy Pescatelli, oh, and wow. on and on. Great. But personally, my personal thing was, I got to win this shit. Mm. This is, you know, this is my second chance, <laughs> and I got to win. So I, I went all out, and, uh, and then I won, and they never aired it. They never showed that episode because NBC had canceled the show and that was a whole different scandal. Jay Moore got into a big fight with NBC and all of that, but it never it aired. And it never aired it, man. They uh. never aired it. They showed uh, a little like clip thing on Comedy Central, but yeah, NBC canceled it and it never aired. Wow. But you still got the host though. I got the cash, man. I got the cash. <laughs> that was my thing, you know. When they when they said they canceled the show, my only question was, "Do I still get paid?" And they're like, "Oh yeah, you still get paid." I was like, "All right, we cool." We cool. Uh, that's hilarious. Yeah, I think I I've auditioned for that show. I think two times. Once when you were the host, and then uh, one year when Bill Bellamy, or no, when you were the judge, and then one year right, when I was a judge and Bill was a host. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are the two the two times. But yeah, no, that's. You know that it takes a specific brand of comedy to be successful on that show. You know, yeah, you you know what it is. You got to be able to work quick. Mm. You got to be able to work quick. And I'm, you know, I do like set up, punch, bang, bang, bang. So it did well. I'll tell you, as a judge, the big one we missed, we passed on Lil Rel. What? What? 
he didn't even make it through the first round. <laughs> wow. And yeah. I saw him, you know, years later, I saw him and I said, yo, man, let me, let me, let me talk to you. I said, man, I want to apologize. I guess we were wrong. And he just laughed. He was, he was cool as hell about it, but it was really, it was really funny. It was like, yeah, I guess we missed on that one. You Right, right. No, <laughs> but again, that's how comedy is though. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's a subjective thing. You know, yeah. like some and, people like this flavor, some people like this flavor. I and heard, when uh, you do a show like that, and a lot of people didn't like the show, and it's like, I get why they didn't like it, because like you said, comedy has 31 flavors, but it was our chance to be on primetime TV. You right. know? And part of it is you just got to pick the right set for that night. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, cause we had, when I was a judge, man, it was crazy. There were comics that we knew were great comics, right? But they did the wrong jokes that night. And we couldn't, we couldn't pass you based on reputation. Mm. Mm. We had to judge. Your performance you know, well, for one thing, night. we weren't the only judges, right? There are producers who also vote on who's going to move on and this and that. But it was like, we had to do it based on that night so there were people like man we know you're funny we know you're funnier than you know i opened for you <laughs> but if they didn't bring it that night on the stage there's no way there's nothing you could do you know right right oh uh, that's crazy man yeah so that show hasn't been on for a few years now huh no man it went through so many changes they changed the format they 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 changed the producers, the judge, um, Wanda Sykes ran it for the last couple of years. And, mm. but they never, um, they could never recap, just like we were talking about mm -hmm. the early part of the show. It was a lot like idol. It was like, even though we were pros, they tried to pretend we had come out of nowhere. Like, you know what I mean? Right, but we, right. we, 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 the only ones who really had a name when we did it was like Kathleen Madigan had, you know, she had already done uh, HBO special and a bunch of Tonight shows and who there weren't many, you know, people knew who Todd Glass was, but we had all just started doing stuff. You know, we had done like the 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 cable shows, you know, and and stuff. I had done a show called Make Me Laugh, and I had done. Oh, yeah. I did Keenan's late night show, you know, like mm -hmm. I hadn't done the tonight show, but I had done Keenan when Keenan had a late night show for a year. So we were all like that. Heffron had been on, um, he was a radio guy out of Detroit. Like he had hosted a morning radio show and stuff, mm -hmm. you know, so we had worked, but we weren't, uh, nobody was really a name. Right. You know? Um, those seasons, you guys still had to live in the house, right? Yeah, we lived together. We lived in the castle. We did the whole reality show thing. Yep. Yeah, because they eventually took that part out. Like, to me, that was the hardest part, yo. Like, you know, they took that part out and they lost a lot of fans. A lot mm -hmm. of the fans like that because, and again, when you're doing it, you don't realize it. But what it was, was when then when you go to compete, they know who you are, right? Mm -hmm. So now they've become more of a fan because they, they've like, see like, oh man, that's Kareem. I remember when he did blah, blah, blah in the kitchen. Right, you know, they see or, how you live. 
Right, right. Oh, oh yeah, Corey. Oh yeah, Corey and Ant had that argument. What's it gonna be like on stage? So right, it did. Right. It did add. It added a level to it. You know what I'm saying? Like, for for the audience, the audience was more interested because they knew who we were. Right. And again, it, it's reality TV, and they they edit it, and they you know get certain things, and they try to create fights yeah, and stories and stuff. But the truth was. The audience felt more invested because they saw you. Mm, interesting, interesting. Yeah, to me as a comic, I always looked at that as the hardest part. You know what I mean? Like the you know what, man? It was boring, man. It was like it was like the pandemic without the internet. Uh, uh, we we lived in this. They had this old castle up in the Hollywood Hills, right? So we we're in there. No TV. No. This, again, this is early internet days. This is like early 2000s. But yeah, no, we couldn't bring in any laptops or um, we couldn't even read newspapers. Like they didn't want us to know anything outside of what was going on in there. And we would end up, you know how it is, man. When you're on the road, when you're in, the, you know, in right. some town you don't know during the day, you just sit there like reading a book or, or, you know, like they would want us to talk to each other and this and it's like, we're That's comics, man. That's my competitor. Man. Yeah, we're, we're comics. We Comics are lazy as shit until you give us a stage. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> we're good for fucking off daytimes. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's funny because we'll go to a city and people are like, did you see this? And like, nah, I ain't see shit. I saw the hotel. And the clubs. <laughs> Ask me about those two things. I've become an expert already. You know what I'm saying? Oh, that's cool, man. So um, you also have been one of the hosts the, for the Family Feud, right? For the, the Yeah, we did a live one. We It was toured, like we were doing it in casinos and theaters. It was fun, man. We had um, Chris Kattan and Pauly Shore were the captains. And then we would pick members of the audience to be the families. You know, mm -hmm. and uh, but then we ran it just like the show and it was fun being the host and and you because you do you never know what the questions are and the answers were funnier. My Our favorite answer was we were somewhere. I don't even remember where we, I think we were in Connecticut. And the question was like we surveyed 100 women and what do you do when you find out your husband has been cheating? Right. <laughs> and this old lady, Kareem, this lady had to be like 80 years old. She couldn't even get out of the chair, right? I had to like lean down to her with the microphone. And her answer was, you beat his ass. And it was the number two answer. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. She said beat his ass too? She said you beat his ass. <laughs> Oh, that is hilarious. Yeah, we had a lot of a lot of moments like that. It was fun. Um, Paulie was giving Chris Kattan hell. Paulie was treating Chris Kattan like his big brother. Mm. Like he you know, and <laughs> and you know, Paulie's out of his mind anyway. But wow. yeah, we had a good time. So we, we must have done like twenty shows up and down the East Coast and we we'd have done it again, except the pandemic hit, so they had to cancel you know, we were going to do the tour again last fall. Mm. 
but after the pandemic, they had to cancel all the shows. But that was that was a fun gig. Yeah, was I was gonna gig. say that uh, when I saw you doing that, I was like, that's actually a very good role for Alonzo. You know what I mean? Like, it was man, I couldn't have been happier. It was perfect for me. You know, problem is Steve Harvey won't quit any of his jobs. Right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> He's looking for more work. He hosting versus battles now. <laughs> But yeah, no. If if yeah, if he does, uh, if he does step down, I think you you would be one of the top. Two. I like I like hosting, man. I've gotten to host, you know, some car shows and game shows. Uh, I hosted the awards show at Just for Laughs a few times. Mm. Hosting to me, it's a fun gig because I'm free to say what I want, right? I'm not like there's a there's an outline, but not a script, right. you know. Right. So I can play with that. As opposed to like acting, where you get a script and you got to become a different person, mm. I'm not good at that. You know, I'm not right. good at that. But but hosting, where it's like, okay, this is what we need you to say. Now go say it however you want. Right. That I can do. Right. Right. No. You. Yeah. I like that role for you. Um. I gotta bring this up. You're a Clipper fan. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. How did that come about? I ain't ashamed. I love the Clippers. You know how it came about? So I moved here. I moved to L.A. in the 80s, right? I was here for Showtime. And I loved Showtime. I loved Magic and Worthy, Kareem. Like those teams, you know, I used to hate the Celtics and, and all. And it was, but man, I ain't have enough money to go to those games. You know how much it costs to go to a Magic Johnson Clipper? You know, this is even back in the day, it was maybe $200 to sit up in the nosebleeds. You know right. what I mean? And right. I I didn't have that kind of money. But you could go to a Clipper game for 15 or 20 bucks. I'm not making this up. The Clippers played in the sports arena. And you could go for like, you could, you could get a cheap ticket for 25 bucks, right? But then nobody was there. So you just walk down and sit in the hundreds, right? You, you buy a ticket for the 300s and go... And the fun part was, even though they sucked, I mean, some of those teams were so bad, you know, with Benoit Benjamin and, and just, they were, they were, the Clippers would always draft people who you thought were going to be somebody, then they turned out to be not, you know, Oliver Miller, who ended up weighing 350 pounds and, and just. Michael Oluwa Candy. Oluwa Candy, on and on. It was, they'd, they'd always have one or two good players. Like they had, you know, Danny Manning was good. Oh, but right. he ain't get no help, you know. Right, right. Doc Rivers' team, when Doc was there, they they made the playoffs once, but that was unusual. But the reason I became a Clippers fan is it was more fun to go watch the Clippers because they would play hard. They just weren't that good, right? right. But that was right. more fun than when you go to a Laker game. You People were there, they weren't there for the game. They were there to see who else was there. It was a scene. It was a party. Right, right. It was. It was. Right. It was the club. You know, it going to a Clipper game. I mean, going to a Laker game was all of that. Going to a Clipper game, it was just the basketball. Then, when they started to get good, they were good with Elton Brand, but really, after they got Blake, and then they brought in CP3 and DeAndre, they got good, and it was fun because it like Clipper fans. We all felt like. Yeah, we were here when the team wasn't shit. Like we got to enjoy it more. You know what I mean? Like we, we yeah, we earned this. 
But the funny thing was when they had that, you started seeing more and more hot women at the games. Mm. And you started seeing celebrities drop in. Like next thing you know, there was a few Kardashians sniffing around. Because you know if there's ball players, they're going to be Kardashians, you know. And, um, you know, the Queen Latifah's at the game and Anthony Anderson's at the game, you know, because they always show people. And you started seeing, it was like, yeah, see, now, now we're getting some respect. Then they sucked again and everybody left. <laughs> Back to the Laker games. But you're still a fan, though. And see, that's... Always. Yeah, it's fun, man. And the other thing about the Clippers, there's a lot of comics who are fans. And when we go to the games, we're texting each other because we're all at the game, right? So so I have season tickets. Um, uh, Eric Griffin has season tickets. Jimmy O. Yang has season tickets. Cristela Alonzo has tickets. Uh, Suli, Suli McCullough comes to a lot of games. Uh, PK comes to a lot. And so we're at the game, right, texting each other about the game, just laughing and and, joke, and having a good time. So, yeah, man, it, it's fun. Rondell Sheridan. Rondell has great seats. Oh, really? Rondell's seats are on the floor in the corner right across from, the, like, you know the tunnel where the players come in? Oh, yeah. Mm. He's right there. Mm. So I sat with him one game, and we were talking with Doc Rivers, you know, because uh -huh. Doc was walking right there, and it was, uh -huh. yeah, but, um, it's fun, man. I love it. I love it. And again, you know, those tickets, tickets that cost, you know, to sit down like in the 100 section, a $200 ticket at a Clipper game is a five or $600 ticket at a Laker game. Right, right. Oh, uh, Richard Barrett. I like that. Richard Barrett. I'm sorry? Richard Barrett. From yeah, Kansas. yeah. Richard's had... Richards had season tickets for the Clippers, I think, since like '91 or something. Like he yeah. is, he's old school. He got great seats, and he goes to a lot of games. And and again, it's just fun, you know, because we're all there bumping into each other, talking, and yeah, it's all good. Yeah, no, and that's why, like you guys, I don't give shit about being Clipper fans because I know you guys have been Clipper fans for forever, and that's why when you mention those comics, because those are the ones that I was gonna bring up. Like, it's only a handful of people that I know that are real Clipper fans, and it's basically you guys. Because when they got good with Lob City, it was a lot of people jumping on the bandwagon. Yeah. And then last year when they got uh, PG. And they were supposed to win it. It was another time when it was a lot more bandwagoners. But I'm like, yo, it's a handful of dudes that I know that were Clipper fans back in the day, and you guys are not one of them. <laughs> Man, I'm I'm mad at PG because he disappeared in the playoffs last mm -hmm. year. Yeah, I said he was like he was like Blake Griffin. Like you know how you talk about pressure. Blake ain't shit under pressure. Nah, I Blake. I, Blake could never win a big game. You know what I mean? Like when the pressure was on, he would disappear. You know, CP3 could play under pressure. So, yeah, last year. So this year, I'm like, EG, you got to show me what you could do in the playoffs. During the season, you're great. But show me that. what you could do during the playoffs. Right. We've seen that movie of you in the season. No, I, that's always going to be the Clippers' knock until they get there. Is they have never made it out the second round. You know, they got to finish, man. And I love. Listen, I love Doc Rivers. I love Doc, but Doc had two chances with two different teams, and he didn't do it. Right up three one. Yeah, he had Lob City, and then he had 
Kawhi and PG, and both times he couldn't finish. So, you know, good luck in Philly. Right, it was time for a change. No, I mean, because I've been a Ram fan since they were here the last time, so I know that feeling about sitting with a team through the bad times and then when those good times finally come around, you know what I mean? You're like, yo, I'm invested in this. Yeah, I, you know, I don't, it's like I'm I'm a sort of NFL fan and I don't really have a team. You know, I used to be a Jet fan growing up when I was a kid in New York, but I don't really have a team. And I was thinking, I wonder if I should become a Chargers fan because uh, the Chargers are kind of like the Clippers. You, totally. you know what I mean? Like, totally. like they're the other team. Right. <laughs> now, that will be perfect for you, man. <laughs> uh, that's funny. You said um, back in New York. So I know you're from New York. Is that where you started? How, how no, you- no. I started in L.A. Uh, okay. I had already – I moved to L.A. with – you know, I used to be in aerospace business. And I moved here in that business. They used to I used to work at Lockheed and Burbank and McDonald oh, really? and Long Beach. Yeah. That was the first career I had. So I started doing comedy here. So I'm an LA comic from New York. That's interesting. That's yeah. Crazy. The first time I went to work in New York, man, I was nervous because you know, New York New York is rough and New York comics are rough, you know. Right. right. But that's how they appear. But the truth is they were really cool. They they took me around to do spots. And again, it's the respect you get, you know, when I could go to the cellar and I could fuck with anybody in there and they know me, you know what I mean? So it's, that's the cool part. Uh, um, now, and also when I started, I started in the 90s, right? And back in the 90s, comedy was in LA because it was all about sitcoms, right? Everybody had a show, you know, you know, Seinfeld had his show, Drew Carey had his show, Ray Romano had a show. Um, what was her name? Um, Roseanne. Roseanne had a show, I w- but, but anyway, all these people, so back in the nineties, comics wanted to come to LA to get a sitcom, right? That's what, but then in the early 2000s, comedy went to New York because all the late night shows were in New York and Comedy Central was plucking everybody from New York and the big name comics like, you know, Chris Rock, Louis C.K. at the time, Amy Schumer, all they all lived in New York and they were staying in New York. They would fly to L.A. to shoot a movie, but then they went back to New York. So the, so the comedy scene kind of shifted to New York. But by then... Because Trevor Noah, we had talked, and Trevor talked to me about writing for The Daily Show. But I was like, Trevor, I already got a life in L.A. I can't go to New York as a beginning writer. You know what I mean? And and, right. and live in a one-bedroom apartment with three roommates. Like, I'm not... I'm not at that stage of my career. Right. I'm, I'm too, you know... And I love Trevor. Trevor's cool as hell. And, if you know, if I was making Trevor money, I could move to New York. Right. But, um... <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm an LA guy, and it's it's funny that you were talking about the transition of comedy from the early '90s in LA and then the 2000s to New York, because I feel like we're in one of those moments right now. Like, how do you feel about the current state of comedy and like where that's headed? Because you know, like Joe Rogan's packed up and moved to Texas. Like, I, I've seen a lot of people making that move, like Texas. A lot of people are following Joe, you know, and Joe's another guy who I've known for 20 years. I, you know, I knew Joe from the Laugh Factory back in the 90s and whatnot. And he talked, he said, man, you ever think of moving? I was like, I'm not done with LA yet, you know? Now for Joe, 
just based on taxes, you know, he saved millions of dollars by right. moving. But he he wanted to get out of L.A. But you know, Joe Joe has always been his own guy, right? Joe has never been Hollywood's guy. Joe does what Joe wants to do, and it just works out for me. I, I, I say he trips and falls into gold mines. Right. You know, no, that's with true. The whole MMA thing and and. Mm -hmm. uh, and his podcast is fire. You know, I love his podcast and good for him on that. But yes, yeah, some comics are moving. So some followed him to Austin and then another bunch went to Nashville, right? Because mm. Nashville mm. is kind of, it's easy to travel up and down the East Coast and the Midwest and do all those things. I'm not done with LA yet, man. I'm, I'm lucky enough to still be able to pay the rent and live in LA. And and I, I still like it. A lot of people don't like it. I still like it. The Laugh Factory is my favorite stage on earth, man. I miss the days mm. of, of going to the Laugh Factory three times a week and doing spots. Mm. You know, that I hope those days come back, you know. Me too, man. Um, I love hearing you say that, yo, because a lot of people shit on LA, you know what I mean? But this is my city yeah. too. Like, I'm not going anywhere. I don't care how the comedy game changes. I always, I feel like LA is always going to have a place in the business, regardless of how it morphs. You know what I mean? We still gonna have our little our little scene here. So Yeah, I mean listen, people have always shit on LA, but they weren't going anywhere. You know. <laughs> it's like, well, why if you don't like it, why don't you leave? You know, and they wasn't leaving. Right, right. There there are certain people yeah, you can be a comic from anywhere. I mean, I looked at one point I was looking at moving to Scottsdale, right? Because mm -hmm. I could get like a much nicer house and all you need to be a comic is an airport. Right. So you can fly, but you can't do you can't do spots every night. Now, some guys have gone to Vegas and they're making Vegas work. And again, good for you if you do that. I love Vegas. I don't know that I'd want to live in Vegas. Right. Um. Yeah, I don't know if I'd want to live there. Yeah, it's a lot of. Temp oh, no, go ahead. No, you're right. That's the temptation. You you could blow your life up in Vegas. Man, no. Nah. And it's crazy because that leads me to the last thing I wanted to bring up. I saw you had posted recently, man, about your sobriety. Yeah. Was it 30 years? 33. 33 yo, years. Yo. <laughs> when I saw that, man, I was like, yo, like, that's a that's an amazing ass story, man. Because I, you know, I've had, I know about sobriety issues like i've had family members that deal with that shit and that's 33 years man you know um and and it's funny i did a podcast with rogan about this because joe couldn't believe it but you know in the 80s i got caught up i got caught up cocaine crack mm -hmm. the whole mm -hmm. thing and i i bottomed out um you know i got arrested i got busted right and i was in jail and just just for a night, just one night in jail. But it was enough for it to be that moment for me to say, nah, this ain't the life. This is not like this isn't where I plan to end up. Right. Because the danger of that is for that to become normal. You know what I'm saying? Like you've been around it. You've seen it. I don't I didn't want going to jail become a normal part of life because people do that. Right. It becomes. It becomes they come okay. out on vacations. Right. It becomes okay. And I didn't, you know, so it, it, yeah. And then I was lucky, man. I was lucky. I went into rehab and I ended up at this place called Studio 12. And this is part of how my comedy career started, right? Mm. 
So the stars went to Betty Ford and the crew went to Studio 12. And I was in rehab with, you know, cameramen and makeup artists and wardrobe designers and, mm -hmm. you know, all of the crew, the grips, the electricians. But they were the ones. So I learned the business by being around them, you know, and they were the ones who were like, yeah, you could do this shit. You don't have to be because when you're when you're not in Hollywood, right, when you're not in the business, it looks like I can't do that. Like, what is that? You know, how do you get into that? Right. But then I met people who were in it and they were like, yeah, you could do it. This is, you know, just do your thing. And it grows. And they were they were like, just focus on the work and this and that. And uh mm -hmm. There was a lot of support and a lot of experience around me. And that, like when I won um, last comic, you know, some people were like, man, you're pretty humble about winning. And it was like, yeah, because, you know, I got friends with a shelf full of Emmys at home. You know what I mean? And they're the ones who taught me like all of that shit is cool, but that's just part of the work. It's not like the first time I met a guy with, with he had two Emmys. And I was like, damn, because I went to his house like he had them on the bookshelf and I was right. looking. I was like, are those what are I you? think they are like are those? And he was like, yeah, I got a couple of them. And I was like, so you're like really good. He said, I don't look for work. Work looks for me. Mm. <laughs> you know, that was his that was his attitude. Wow. He's like, like, that, like, that's the ultimate resume. Right. Wow. Like, you know, <laughs> so. Yeah, so you know, and then and, and it really it really is a day at a time, man, and it just adds up. Days become months, months become years, and it's it's the foundation, right, for everything else I do. And and it keeps me it keeps me grounded. It keeps me grounded. It reminds me what's real. because mm. um, you know how Hollywood is, man. Hollywood ain't real. How many people have said they love you? You know? Oh man, everybody. I've Those never gotten a meeting. job from someone who loved me. <laughs> not once did someone who loved me hire me mm. you know mm. uh, so yeah it's 33 man 33 and counting so you just did the, you just did the rehab one time and then you you were like no I no it, it took the second time the first time i only lasted a few weeks mm. but the second okay. time i knew i was done that's what you got to know you got to know you're done Okay. Okay. You know, yeah. I, I, I heard this guy and I'm not going to violate his anonymity, but I will tell you, he's a major movie star. Right. And he was telling his story and he said, you know, he had been like, it was, he had been to jail and he'd been, you know, the TMZ, he's drunk in the middle of the street and all, all of that movie star shit. And he said he was in Santa Monica and he saw a homeless guy in the alley. And he realized, he said, I'm the same as that guy. Mm. Like, I'm the same. I just got more money. He said, right but I'm, he was like, I'm exactly like, and he said something clicked and he hasn't had a drink since he hasn't got high since, but he just mm. realized in that moment, you know, it's a personal thing for people. Like when you, you reach that point with yourself where you're like, yeah, I can't bullshit anymore. I've, I'm done. I can't, mm -hmm. you run out of lies. You run out of lies. Like you say, you've dealt with, we've all been around it. Everyone's got, you know, a family member or a friend or somebody, you know, and that's why 
finally we're getting away from putting people in jail and instead sending them to rehab. And I work with a thing, it's called the Drug Courts of America, right? And the whole purpose is to send nonviolent drug offenders to rehab rather than jail. You know, I got a friend in Tulsa, Oklahoma, she's a lawyer and she's part of this organization getting people, there are people still in jail for weed. I know. How ridiculous is that? You know, yeah. so she, her organization, time. yeah, her, her organization and the lawyers, they fight to get these people out because you had a bag of weed on you in 1998. And you still, and still in jail. In jail. <laughs> Yo, that's crazy, man. Mm -hmm. Well, man, I want to thank you, Alonzo. This has been a hell of a conversation, man. We, we, we got to touch on a lot of stuff here, man. I, I, man, I this has been, this has been fantastic, man. Uh, you know, like say, it's, it's like we were talking about with Montreal. We don't get to do this, right? right? Right. We don't get to just sit down and kick it and catch up and, and whatever else. So man, much love to you, brother. Thank you. Send me the link. You know, I'm going to post it and, uh, uh you we'll got anything, see. you got anything you want to plug? Um, man, my, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, what is it? April 30th, I'm going to the Improv in Denver. Oh, okay. Yeah, nah. That's... Hey, man, back on the road, yo. Back on the road, man. Um, and and um, Supernova, if you go to supernovacomedy.com, there are outdoor shows in Hollywood that I do. I'm doing one this Sunday, and I'll still be doing those until the club's officially open. So check out Supernova. Okay. Okay, and then you're Alonzo Bowden on all platforms, Instagram. On all platforms. On Instagram, I'm Zo Funny, Z-O-F-U-N-N-Y. But everything else, if you go to alonzobowden.com, it's hooked to everything. Everything's off my page. Okay, cool. Well, again, man, thanks a lot, Alonzo. I really appreciate you doing this, man. This Much really love, cool. brother. Thank you, Kareem. Have a good one. Late.